The Farm Bill, a beef bonanza, taste bots, and a future of all female chickens. That's what we're chewing on next in this episode of State of the Plate. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our very first episode of State of the Plate. We're your hosts, Brandon Miller. And Rochelle Ripschnod. And we are super excited to start talking to you guys about uh, the latest in food business topics like we're going to be doing every month. But this being our first episode, we should probably explain a little bit about who we are and why the business of food is so important to us and what you can expect to hear in future episodes. My name is Brandon Miller. I'm the creative director at CO Next which is an employee-owned marketing and communications agency. And we serve purpose-driven brands in the food and ag industry and only purpose-driven brands in this food and ag industry. So I've been working exclusively in food and ag for about six and a half years for this amazing agency who's been doing it for about 30. So food is what we do. Food is all I've been doing from a professional level for a long time. I love this industry. I've been fortunate enough to learn a lot about it over the years. And now I'm excited to talk about it every month for an hour or so with you and whoever's listening. So I would say even more entrenched in the world of food and ag than I am is my co-host, Rochelle Schnott, who lives it every day. Rochelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background so people know uh, they can trust you and what you're saying too. Yeah, my role here at CO Next is in PR as a PR supervisor. And so I'm all about, you know, telling the stories on behalf of agriculture and on behalf of our clients and love hearing what's coming down the pike and how we can really connect the dots from the business of agriculture out in the field to the consumer as they go shopping and are staying informed as consumers. Uh, So my background started on the farm. So I'm a little bit further up the food chain or closer to, I guess, the field, if you will. And my family continues to farm today. My husband and I, with our kiddos, uh, raise crops on our farm. That's kind of our specific space. And I've been working in the agriculture communications and marketing space my entire career because it's my passion. And Man, time flies, Uh, but it's been a very rewarding um, space in the industry to be in, to be a voice, and to be communicating on behalf of farmers and agriculturalists and foodies as well. So that's what has brought me here to CO Next, and we're really excited to be, you know, talking about that entire value chain, the food chain, in our podcast from here on out. Absolutely. So thank you. Yeah, so that's a little bit about who we are, a little bit about what you are going to hear if you continue to listen to this podcast, which we really hope you do, uh, is all about the food chain and the business of food. So as we all know, food and agriculture, it's a part of everyday life for everyone. And keeping that food chain moving from farm to fork, that's big business. And there's a lot of stories going on that impact keeping food moving, you know, keeping food on people's tables and on the shelves. So we're going to discuss a little bit uh, of what's going on in the industry every month, Uh, the latest in news from everything from uh, innovation and legislation to market trends, consumer insights. We're going to be talking about all those issues and latest news topics and giving insights and reacting to what's going on in a lot of different areas throughout the food system. So we hope you enjoy it. We're going to do our best to keep you well informed uh, and most importantly, have a lot of fun. All right. Uh, With that out of the way, let's dig into what's first. The first topic, big this year, Brandon, because you know why? 
the farm bill expires. So we're going to be working on the next farm bill. Ooh, that's a big one. That's a big one. Tell tell the people a little bit about what the farm bill is, including yeah, me and those people. Yeah. <laughs> why should we care about this farm bill? Well, the farm bill is something that's written every five years. So it doesn't happen every single year or even like every two years, right, with a lot of the election cycles. So it's super important because it captures food and farming. And, you know, this means a lot to farmers who you know, are looking to continually make improvements. You know, we talk sustainability all day, every day, it seems, with our list of clients um, and those who are coming to us for our expertise. But then it's also impacting us as consumers, right? Like we're hearing about um, food shortages. We have natural disasters happening, wars, um, and that impacts our food system ultimately. So it's just very important, very timely that we're all paying attention and making sure that we're speaking up and out on behalf of our industry. So how much money are we talking about in this whole thing? Like how much, I mean, there's a piece of the pie and I bet there's a lot of people, uh, you know, lobbying to get a certain dollar amount for the causes that are important to their specific areas of the industry. But how big is this pie? Like, what is the, what kind of money are we talking about? We're talking billions, not just a couple billion, like 700 billion. So it's a lot of money. 700 billion dollars. Yeah. Wow. Like 75% of that farm bill budget typically goes to food programs like SNAP. And so that's where it's really a food and a farm bill. Um, Not only, you know, if you're a consumer, you should care. If you're a farmer, you should also care because ultimately that's where your products are going, right? Either supporting our domestic uh, consumers or going internationally. We're really proud to raise a lot of great products here in our state and our country that then get shared with those across the globe. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is, you know, like a, this guy, I'm sure it comes out as sort of a, this is one that both sides of the aisle really have to come together on because there's stuff in here that's going to matter for for both. Absolutely. Coming from all different directions. So uh, how, how complicated is that? It depends on the political atmosphere, right? <laughs> we won't get into politics here, but, um, I will say that this does need to be a conversation where both sides of the aisle are coming together for common good. And that is something that we're expecting that we're hearing rumblings about out in the industry. Um, you know, given some of the leadership out in that space, they're wanting to make sure that this happens in a quicker manner, right? Like we know that it's expiring, but it still could take a couple of years to really craft and agree and approve that farm bill. Um, And we don't want to have any gaps, right? Like food is important. Um, There's a lot of things in the industry, you know, we're still kind of recovering from some of those COVID impacts that we saw with the supply chain. Um, So we wanna keep things moving. We've got good momentum here. Yes, this is this is deep. It's ongoing. It's something we're going to keep our eye on as it progresses. Uh, deadline, which you know, I don't know in government how much <laughs> how much we pay attention to the actual deadline, but deadline is set for September thirtieth on this. Uh, and you know, things are things are in full swing. Discussions are happening, and uh, you know, s- certain entities are are asking for certain things. You know, just coming out and saying, "Hey, we think this is important." Uh, Let's, you know, let's give it some consideration. So what are some of the things that, you know, maybe from the agriculture side, companies, companies, clients that we're working with, organizations, what are some of the stuff that that is important to them that they'll be asking for in this bill? 
Yeah, I think a lot of folks are really focused on telling that sustainability story and getting some measurable things, right? Um, the USDA infused over $3 billion into um, agriculture this year. So we're putting uh, our money where our mouth is and delivering metrics. And so that conservancy, sustainability conversation is really like ramping up more so than it ever has. I think a lot of folks thought it was a trend that was going to kind of come and go, but that has not proven to be the case. It's here to stay. And now we need uh, to deliver on those promises and big brands are making um, commitments that we all need to work together to deliver on. So I think we'll see a lot of conversation around that. Uh, there's a lot of folks that are investing at that farm level to make sure that they're being stewards um, of that those natural resources cover crops and, um, you know, ways to take care of our water supply are super important and timely, buzzworthy right now, if you will. Um, but also things like, you know, animal disease and mitigating that as part of our international um, landscape. Of course, research is always kind of wanted and needed to bring those proof points. Um, so we'll continue to see more on that. Food safety. Um, but I feel like this year, or this round, I should say, more than ever, we're focused on local foods. And I think it's because we experienced such a disruption from the COVID supply chain issues that there's kind of a refocus on getting the infrastructure right, um, either at a local or a regional level, to continue to support everybody as human beings and consumers. Yeah, that seems really important. Uh, again, that seems so natural for you know we say it's hard for both sides of the aisle to come together but as you look down these it's like yeah who wouldn't who wouldn't want some of that you know like that the idea of local food being available uh for everybody right is, i mean we're i mean it's hard to see a downside in that but you know some of these things are going to get sticky for one reason or another as things do when it comes down to uh you know finite sources of funding so exactly um, and i think that's part of the process right like right now a lot of people are identifying like these areas of passion and then once the budget comes out then we'll start seeing people get real passionate about you know where those dollars are spent and how they're spent and the division and um so more to come for sure mm -hmm. this is just the beginning yeah i mean it's really incredible like some of this bigger stuff like that uh seems super worthwhile but there's also you know things that you wouldn't necessarily think you'd find in some of these things and it's like oh i didn't even know that that was you know as large of a concern as as you know local food being available for all we can all kind of understand how important that is but then you start to dig into some of the stuff like wow i didn't even know that that was something that we'd be focusing on like for for instance hemp like, right. I didn't know that uh, we were trying to kickstart that as much as we are for hemp growers to be able to lay raise that THC component in hemp in order to allow it to be um, grown and, you know, used as crops. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that can be like a divisive crop for sure. Um, you know, even how some of the food brands are embracing CBD as an ingredient or not. Um, yeah, time will tell on that. But it is interesting to see that hemp is kind of a focus, um, you know, not only as a, a crop for you know, some of those medicinal components, but also as a fiber, right? Like mm -hmm. we're seeing um, hemp concrete come out into the like building mm -hmm. um, industry. So yeah. 
you know, there's lots of really great it's ways wild. to use some of those materials that sometimes we overlook or, you know, we have a waste product that we need to find a market for or use. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. When I was looking into this a little bit, just sort of touching the surface, I noticed that, uh, you know, organizations like NCBA and NCGA, the um, are there. One of the big things on their radar is disaster relief in finding better ways, you know, money up front to combat, you know, what happens, you know, when cr all these crops are lost due to natural disaster or whatever, uh, you know, unforeseen weather circumstances. So that's big on their radars because, you know, the way it's being handled right now is that actually costing more money on the back end to sort of ad hoc solve the issue on a case by case basis rather than you know, doing the proactive thing and, and putting money toward it right away so that, so that it's ready to go. Right. The old ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure sort of argument, which there's another thing that to keep an eye on for how much gets allocated for that. Right. Well, and even things like, um, you know, the value of our, our homes, right. Because of inflation and the way supplies have yeah. changed. Like that comes into play when we're talking about natural disasters and the price of lumber, you know, things that you don't necessarily just think of on a day to day basis are now becoming topics that, you know, our insurance companies are bringing to us and having discussions about how to adjust accordingly. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And weather is unpredictable. It is. It is. I mean, we're. Uh, located in Wisconsin, so we <laughs> right. we know exactly how unpredictable the weather is. Was eighty five one day and thirty five the next. So exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, all right. So as we said, you know the farm bill. It's a huge ongoing uh, process. Uh, something we're going to be keeping our eyes on closely as it develops. And we could spend five shows just on this one topic. It's super dense. It's very, very weedy at some points, but we're going to do our best to distill it down for everybody uh, as developments are made. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that for you. Is there anything you want to add? Anything else on the farm bill? I would just encourage people to get engaged, right? Like as taxpayers, mm -hmm. we contribute to that. And so ultimately, like, don't be afraid to speak up on behalf of your communities, knowing that some of these topics might really resonate, the local food, right? Um, and yeah, no matter where you are in the value chain or the supply chain, like you have a voice and it matters. So I had to encourage people to get engaged as much as they can and are interested in and Absolutely. stay informed. Yeah, I'd contact your local congressman or whatever. I don't know, your local representative. Let them know what you care about when it comes to food and food and agriculture. Okay. Uh, yeah, as, as we said, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, for now, though, I think we can... Uh, move on. That was a little bit of what's going on in food policy. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in food innovation. Yeah, you ready to talk about this one? I am. Genetically interesting. modified hens could end the calling of male chicks. That what do you think is, about that? I, I mean, you it's studied a lot, up on it, that. It's a lot to take in all at once. I, right when you read the term genetically modified, though, like that gets people's attention, right? Because right. that's just a GMOs are always going to grab the attention of people in food and agriculture and consumers. You know, that just it's a it's a buzzword. You mm -hmm. know, it gets people going. But uh, but in this case, it seems like the genetically modified hens are uh, 
it's sort of universally just, you know, accepted as a good thing because this American Israeli tech company called Human or Humin, um, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, H-U-M-I-N-N, look them up and decide for yourself how you <laughs> want to say it. Uh, they have announced that for the first time, hen laid eggs, uh, hens, they've found a way to genetically modify a hen so that when they lay eggs, all those eggs are female. So why is that important? Uh, well, that's important because in the egg laying business, the females are valuable, right? In which they case, are. hens don't, or male hen, or uh, male chicks don't do as much for you. They don't lay eggs. So, you know, to have more or to be guaranteed that the offspring that you're going to have are female, then they all become very useful. Right. So, uh, so that helps, you know, keep everything, keep everything going without having to figure anything out about what to do with these male hens or male chicks rather. I don't, think, I don't think there are such thing as male hens, right? No. Okay. <laughs> we'll do a little right, like, farm 101 I don't know how you. genetically modified they are, but I'm sure they haven't come up with male hens yet. All right. Um, and so that's yeah. important, right? Because egg prices have gone up and down and, you know, people who are buying eggs as a staple in their, their regular grocery run are taking notice. Yeah. So that's another thing too, is that's, that's huge, right? Because, I mean, if there's anything that's been in the news lately, it's been about the price of eggs, right? There's memes upon memes upon memes of, you know, right. how expensive eggs are. Even though they have started to come down a little bit, they're a little bit more reasonable. Uh, any way that they can figure out how to, you know, cut costs for these producers and thus, you know, hopefully that price will get sent on down the food chain. Uh, you know, that's that's probably something that should be looked into. But, you know, this is like, changing the chromosomal makeup of everything. And that's always hot button, you know, and that's especially like as we talk about CRISPR, I don't think this is using CRISPR technology, basically similar to CRISPR technology. You know, that's that just brings up all these other things, including regulatory concerns of, you know, what what is first, what is the moral, you know, what should our moral standpoint be on this? What is the ethical standpoint? You know, there's all kinds of different conversations that come into this. Uh, but for now, at least, it seems like, you know, everyone's OK with it. So you start talking about, you know. Other groups getting involved that may have a problem with this, but it seems like on both sides that uh, that they're getting getting behind it, and even advocacy groups which sometimes don't support this technology and don't support the idea of what they consider a GMO in food and animals are they're getting behind it even because it helps reduce the amount of chicks that need to be culled. So right, it's of a course, thing. yeah, that is that is big on their radar. So even they are. Uh, you know, behind it. And of course, producers are behind it. And, you know, the food chain is behind it because anytime we can reduce waste um, or reduce costs and that can be passed on down through the line, then, you know, obviously there's going to be huge support for that. So. Right. Time will tell. Mm -hmm. As you alluded to, you know, the regulation, it will take years, I'm sure, to prove and to test to make sure that that is a safe food product. Right. To go out into the marketplace. Yeah. Well, actually, the EU has approved the technology already. So in Europe, this thing's like moving forward. It so we might be going. seeing it sooner uh, than later here. Europe certainly will. Right now, uh, it is being reviewed by the FDA in the U.S. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. We're not quite as far as Europe is over here, but it is uh, it is happening. So um, genetically modified hens might be a thing. That's it. That's where the future goes. 
Interesting. So real, real cool stuff happening. I would also, you know, this story, just have to point out again, another American Israeli tech company in agriculture, they are doing huge things over there. You know, they're, they there's are. Just pop-ups everywhere over there. They're changing the face of agriculture in a lot of ways from, you know, scouting to drone technology to everything. It's, it's crazy. The amount of uh, ag tech and ag, digital ag coming out of, coming out of that part of the world. So. And focused on ag, right? Like they could be solving a lot of right. problems mm-hmm. or, you know, leaning into a lot of opportunities in different sectors, but they're choosing egg, which I think is also super interesting. Well, hey, that's the food, food, fiber, fuel all comes from agriculture. So, exactly. You know, without it, where would we be? So it seems as worthy of any place to focus your innovative efforts for sure. What does that, that mean? Where it's without egg, you'd be naked, hungry. What's the other one? Without mm, shelter? <laughs> probably. Yeah, I don't know. You have to send that one to, have to me look when it you up. find it because yeah. I'm not familiar with it. But I agree with all those things. All, all right. right. Should we talk about another another species? Yeah, let's do it. Beef. Beef. It's what's beef for is dinner. back, baby. It's back in big ways. Yeah. Market trend on beef is looking good. Yeah. Which is interesting because, like, the number of animals out in the countryside is probably one of the lowest we've seen in quite some time. But beef demand is there. You're a griller. Yeah. You fired up the grill and turned some time. beef on? All the time, but I got to tell you. You're not even a seasonal player. You're like all year no. round. And yeah, I mean, I'm a, um, I'm also, I'm not just a griller. I am a, I'm a lover of smoked meats as well. So, uh, it's a, it's a 365 day, uh, passion for me. I support that. I should say maybe not quite 365 because when it's 20 below, I'm not <laughs> out there smoking or grilling. So, uh, it's, but it is close. And I have noticed, you know, with, I mean, obviously everyone's noticed beef prices are up. It's expensive. So you gotta, gotta be creative with what cuts you're getting and, you know, how often you're doing it. But it looks like, uh, you know, demand is back on the rise, at least internationally for sure. Uh, According to Beef Magazine, U.S. beef exports set records for volume and value in 2022. Uh, and that momentum's expected to keep rising in 2023. So um, it says, uh, again, this is according to Beef Magazine, that exports were up 15% in 2022, which is a $1.24 billion increase. That's, That's a huge. Lot. 15% is huge, you That's know, huge. and it's even back up to those pre-pandemic levels and beyond, you know, that that's a lot. That's a huge climb. And it's um, not just beef like we're focused on beef here but i think all proteins are really Mm -hmm. seeing an uptick right which is impressive Mm -hmm. and i think it's a a strong signal right globally that we're evolving and Mm -hmm. the protein demand is is truly there as some of those um countries who weren't as as economically developed Mm -hmm. like are coming online and they're wanting more of those high quality products Mm -hmm. yeah I think yeah. So so exports are looking good. I uh, I didn't know this when I was when I was reading up on this, but I want to see if you know it. So here we're gonna play a little quiz. Guess who the top eight countries are that we export beef to? Ooh, Japan. No, Japan not on the list. They actually really? have they're big in beef, right? Japan has a lot of their own like uh, their own herds, their own domestically, yeah produced beef. So they're not on the list, but okay. uh, there are some others in that part of the world that are on the list. 
Let's go with Korea. South Korea is, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. logically wouldn't be North Korea, but yeah, South Korea. <laughs> South Korea is on the list. They're one of the eight. Okay. Um, oh, man. Thailand. Taiwan. I'm going to give that to Taiwan. you because it's close. Taiwan. Okay. I'll take that. So I'll give, it, I'll give you the rest of them. So you got China. It. Of course. There you go. There's another one. You stick in that part of the world, you're going to get more of them. I was going to say, there's just a lot of demand over mm-hmm. there. So and the, it depends on the, the cuts, right, as well. Yeah. I think I mean, that plays into it. We won't get into the nitty gritty, but. Yeah, I mean, there are uh, there are certain parts of the world that value different parts of Absolutely. the beef animal. Uh, you know, I can't remember. I, I didn't take a note of it. But one of these was like tongue was their big one oh, yeah? that they really were into. So. Uh, the other ones on the list are the Philippines, Singapore, Colombia, Guatemala, and Dominican Republic to round out the eight. All right. So some so Latin America in there Very as well. Very interesting. But anyway, that was just a little fun quiz game I wanted to play because I found it interesting. Yeah. But, uh, I didn't know that, um, you know, Southeast Asia and that part of the world was such a was such a target for where our beef was going. Right. Uh, so good news is because exports are up and because demand is up that the value has been increased per animal which of course is you know what the producers are really focused on and the value based on these increases in in demand has gone up $450 per animal which that's impressive that's pretty significant you know yeah you know obviously the the more you can get per animal the better off you are. That's what it's all about for them. So, so really good news. You can just see the impact of it throughout the food chain, all the way back to that producer. So, right. So really great, really great. The the issue that they're running into now, of course, though, is that supply demand is on the rise, but it takes supply a little bit to catch up. So, um, so what the experts are saying is that, you know, in order to, to, to keep, keep up with, with the demand, we need to start focusing on some of the underutilized cuts of meat. You know, it's not mm-hmm. all about the ribeyes and the T-bones. You know, maybe it's more about some of those uh, chuck cuts and, and those kinds of lower used meats that, that are going to be on the rise a little bit. Because as demand increases and supply struggles to catch up, that's what's going to be available. So it's time to be creative with your recipes. Yeah, uh, I love that. And yeah, figure out a way to to make those um, less used cuts, the less popular cuts uh, make their way into your cuisine. Right. And that means, now, you know, not just the, you know, at-home griller and smoker like myself, but restaurants and their menus, they're going to have to start, you know, figuring out ways to utilize these other cuts of meat in, in there. So you can you can see just the ripple effect it starts to have throughout all, all of the food chain and each one of these industries. It's, it's pretty interesting. For sure. And beef doesn't just show up at your grocery store. Right. Here's a quiz what? question for wait, you. Wait a minute. <laughs> Here's a quiz I question right, for you. And then my brain caught up to what you said. I'm like, wait, it doesn't. <laughs> I'll just be get to the grocery store. How uh, long does it take for uh, a an animal, a beef cow, to have a calf? Do you know? What is their gestation period? Yeah. What's their gestation period? All right. So we're talking nine months for humans. The beef cow. I'm gonna go go less than that. Six months. Higher. <laughs> uh, more. Okay, I'm going to go on the other side three months and say a year. No, it's the same as humans, actually. It is? Yeah. Dang. Bovine, I yeah. I known that. Pigs are a lot quicker turnaround. What are they at? Three months, three weeks, three days. But that just goes to you know, show, like, supply chain, right? Yeah. Like, 
these animals aren't just showing up ready to go into the cooler at the the grocery store. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. takes time, like you're it saying, does. for the supply yeah, it's to catch, catch up, up to the demand. Are there any ways, you know, this has got had to have happened before where, you know, because there is such ebb and flow in the supply demand where supply takes off and they got to catch up. Do they, is there methodology in place for producers to start, you know, cranking out more animals? Yeah, I think that's probably top of mind for a lot of them at the, the farm level. Um, and then also like the processor level, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've been in the flip side where beef is super cheap and we've got a flood of animals, you know? Um, and then, yeah, so the processors are super busy. The farmer's moving animals and it's just a different bottleneck, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's but, the market for you. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's, I mean, I suppose, you know, it's a good problem to have is when you're trying to catch up to demand rather than, you know, demand falling below where supply is at. And then, you right. know, you got all this product you can't get rid of. So, um, so yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. But, you know, I think it'll be slow for prices to adjust in, in the, on the grocery store level and, you know, in the, in the consumer level, just because now, you know, when supply meets demand and they're even, that's when you're going to start to see the prices sort of adjust themselves. But now that, you know, the, the demand is, is going to shoot up past the supply for a while, the, the prices are probably going to stay high for the foreseeable future on meat, but, uh, should be, you know, there's, there's reason for optimism. Right. Well, and then that creates value elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the leather industry, right? Mm-hmm. That those hides are going to, mm-hmm. those should be more valuable as well for that market. So again, it's just like one of those things that it's a, a ripple effect and it all starts with egg. Absolutely. Well, that's another one, man. There are all kinds of stories that are ongoing and developing. Just another one we will continue to monitor and report back with any developments but for now, as uh, we do have some more topics to get to, yeah. let's let's move on to the next one. Let's move into uh, something that's on. It's got to be on the minds of. I know it's on my mind a lot. Uh, it's something I think about a lot, and that is AI. This yeah. idea of artificial intelligence. Um, it kind of terrifies me in a way. I think we're playing a little fast and loose with what we're allowing these machines to learn. Uh, it's like nobody's ever seen the Terminator or the Matrix. Right. And we're just like, yeah, you know, make them as smart as possible. Nothing bad could possibly happen from this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> living in scary times. But I think this one, this version of AI, I think is a really cool use of it and could be really uh, helpful and impactful in the food chain. It's called Taste GPT. Yeah, tell me more. Well, we've all heard of this thing called chat GPT, right? Where you know, just, it can do a lot of different things for us. It's uh, hard to wrap your brain around. Like for really me, is. I'm like, so there's so many possibilities. Where do we even start? Yeah. It just all comes down to these, the, the software learning as much as it possibly can and then performing as many functions as it can. And that's similar to what this Taste GPT is doing. So this is coming from a company called TasteWise. They're launching this new AI software. And what it does is it monitors uh, the pulse of food trends uh, in real time, you know, by taking little bits from throughout, you know, what's on the Internet. You know, what is what what's being searched, what's happening on social media, all of these little inputs that, you know, the same way that any other one of these AI things learns like chat GPT is from, you know, inputting and taking in all that data. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's monitoring what's going on in food and food trends and on the consumer level so that it can turn around and and offer up trend analysis like almost in real time. You know, the way th- the way it works now is, these, you know, consumer surveys and all that take like up to a year. Right. You can only do one, you know, one at a time and get learnings from it. And then once you have the learnings from it, then you need to develop your new product or flavor or whatever to match what you learned that trend was. And by that time, you're you're chasing ghosts because you're marketing to a trend that was there over a year ago. And right. you know how fast things move right now. That trend may not even exist anymore. So now being able to have all all these things running simultaneously and gathering all this data, these companies now, you know, food manufacturers, uh, you know, flavor developers, they're able to see, in, you know, much, much faster what the trends of the day are and right. then cater their their offerings to that trend uh, much faster than ever than has ever been able to been do before. So very interesting, very interesting technology. Yeah, it's kind of wild. It'll be fun to see how that shifts and at the rate that it shifts, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're saying with some of these flavors that are identified or developed, how long it takes to get out into the market and then what the response of the market is. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, like TikTok, you see you see a video on TikTok and one person tries like some new flavor trend and right. then like just it spikes and stuff is off the shelves and then it's gone in you know an instant and you can like nobody has time to react to it or take advantage of it you know capitalize on that that trend and now i don't it still seems to me that stuff moves so fast i don't even know how with this technology like well okay you have the information immediately but it's still taking time to develop you know what is going to be that thing that taps into the certain you know flavor zeitgeist so i don't know i don't know it'll be interesting to see as i as i um as I said, I'm kind of terrified of it all and, you know, I'm scared, but I'm still trying to keep my eye on it because, uh, you know, if you can't take your eye off of it and that's when trouble starts. So. Right, right. <laughs> and we've had, you know, some of our clients ask about AI and what that means in different ways. How do they incorporate into their website? How do they build assets? And mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really fun to see how some of that comes to life in a practical, useful valuable kind of way yeah yeah but you're right like the social aspect um you know it's buzzworthy right now mm-hmm. and we're seeing like you said tomatoes you know increase we were at um the international fresh produce show in orlando late last year and they talked about some of those tiktok trends and those recipes that just go viral and then position their products in a really positive way mm-hmm. right like tomatoes yeah. awesome Right. Yeah. People are consuming something nutritious. Yeah. So how do we make some of those uh, commodities a little bit more buzzworthy? Right. Right. Well, we happen to have our social media expert right over here, Kelly Calkins. And uh, you don't have, don't worry, you don't have to Food jump shout over out. Here. Just shout out, shout us out. What is, uh, what's a TikTok trend going on right now? Food yeah. wise. Um, there is the ice cream that you wrap in the fruit roll-ups and then the fruit roll-up gets really hard and crunchy and it's like selling fruit roll-ups off the shelf right now. Hang on, hang on. Ice cream wraps. Okay, so I'm an old man. Fruit roll I'm an old man. I'm like, trying to keep, tr- clo- I'm trying to keep uh, you know, my finger loosely on the pulse of TikTok, but I've not heard of this one. So we have yeah, that's new ice cream wrapped up in a fruit roll-up. Mm-hmm. Have you it, tried it? I have. It's very good. Is very it just good. vanilla ice cream? 
people are using any sort of ice cream, but like fruit flavors are big. So mm -hmm. like you wrap it, and like for some reason, it like solidifies the fruit roll and it becomes crunchy. Huh. You bite it and it like crunches. It's like a whole thing. It makes it crunchy. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna look that up immediately. Um, I would try that one. Some of those other ones. Mm. I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that immediately. That sounds amazing. That Just one sounds a rainbow good. sherbet wrapped up in a. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. But like you said, they're hard to find now, which is right. Who would have thought? I don't think that's caught up to our house. Our my daughters really enjoy fruit roll-ups, and so, so far we haven't had trouble getting them, to my knowledge. But maybe we should stock up. What's another one? This is fun. Um, olive oil and coffee. I have seen this one because Starbucks like is butter? introducing that, and oh. it's yeah. it's like this. It's supposed to bring out the flavors more or something like that? I don't it's know. It's supposed to bring out the flavors and it helps you digest coffee because coffee's so acidic. So when you balance it with the fat, it like prolongs the caffeine effect and it makes it better. But the problem is people are having it with iced coffee so the olive oil sits on top. It doesn't like emulsify. Ew. <laughs> I've seen pictures. It looks disgusting. It I'm like, I don't terrible. think that's supposed to what, like I don't want the oil to hit my lips for like, yeah. nah. It's like earthy olive oil. So what coffee are you supposed to mix it with? Just like a hot espresso right away and then froth it up because then it like gets nice and frothy. Oh. Mm. All right. I'll try that too. I'll try, try some of these. I'll try anything once. Yeah, we're going to have a whole episode where we just try all the TikTok trends. Well, Kelly did watch uh, or she did try the ranch ice cream I did see. Recently. There's ranch ice cream? There is. Mm -hmm. Are you a ranch fan? <laughs> Not ranch ice cream. I mean, I could handle a chicken tender dipped in ranch here and there. This is like next level. I don't know. Who's, is it popular? Are people eating ranch ice cream or is this like one of those disgusting things that's kind of a joke and no one really wants it? I think yeah. people want to try it. They're curious, right? Because either people are in the camp where they love ranch or it's like, meh. So I, the, would try, the I would try it, but I can almost guarantee you I wouldn't like it. It's like giving me bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> Already? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's some things where it, Ranch just doesn't belong. And ice cream, I'm going to draw the line at ice cream, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that one. So, yeah, the, uh, you know, the interesting part about this is, too, is, you know, technology always advances faster than our brains wrap, wrap around how to monetize it. You know, like mm -hmm. the Internet, you know, when that first came about, young kids, there was a time before the, the Internet. Um, and then when it, when it came out, everyone's like, how do we make money on this? You know, it's like, you couldn't figure out, it seemed like the wild west because no one could figure out how to monetize the internet. And of course they did, uh, you know, and so, uh, the same with, you know, um, streaming services like Spotify, like music streaming, it's like, you know, it's, people are going out of their minds figuring like, how do we monetize it? But in, right. and then once people figure out how to monetize it, it calms down a little bit. We learn to harness it. Uh, and that's sort of what the driver of this. And I kind of feel like that's where this is going. You know, both chat GTP and taste GTP. GPT. Once we once we learn more about it, once we start to really figure out how it's going to be useful in a capitalist sense, which right. unfortunately, fortunately or fortunately, however you look on it, is is what usually is the driver of things moving forward. But it seems like at least here. This technology, Taste GPT, has really, really found a way to to harness the AI revolution and and put it to good use. Because I think it's really valuable for for our industry to to understand trends as fast as we possibly can. Absolutely, we're in a global world too. So you know, flavors, foods, mm -hmm. um, you know, as fast as we can get it here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with whatever delivery service you're going to yeah. choose. Yeah. Like, people are willing to try new things, which is great. And then that just 
globifies our brains and our taste buds. You mean like ice cream and a free roll-up? Yeah, why not? Those kinds of new things. Does that have a name, by the way? Are they calling this something? Is this something? What's the hashtag? There's no hashtag? (laughs) All right, get back to us about that. All right, Rochelle, is there anything else we wanted to cover today? I know we've... uh, We've been going for a while now. Is there, are there any other topics that are top of mind? Well, one thing that we have coming up is the Animal Ag Alliance uh, Stakeholder Summit. So that will Ooh. be a really great event to connect with people across the industry, more in a livestock sense. But I would say that there are other um, you know, people in the industry that are going to be there because maybe their product goes into an animal as a, a feed additive yeah. or a feed ingredient. So um, should be really fun to see what comes of that. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Animal Ag Alliance Stakeholder Summit is? Yeah, so they're meeting um, this year in D.C. Mm-hmm. and they're out to really be proactive when it comes to animal agriculture to make sure that it's an industry um, that they fight on behalf of. And Um, you know, just do some education out there too. I think there's a lot of misconceptions and falsities flying around on the internet. Um, So bringing some truth to the industry and and supporting those folks so that farmers who do care to raise livestock can continue to do so. Because for a lot of them, it's a passion, not just a business. Oh, for sure. Uh, What is, does this year's summit have a theme? What is the focus? Partners in progress. Partners in progress. Yeah, so our CEO, Marcy, actually will be leading one of the panels, and they're talking about um, ESG and sustainability and how that fits um, into the bigger picture, what brands are doing to tell that story. Because like we were talking about earlier, it's it's not a trend. Sustainability Mm -hmm. is not a trend. It's here Mm -hmm. to stay. So let's be having that conversation to influence how our industry is being measured, right? Instead of having kind of false numbers that we're expected to live up to out mm. there, uh, we can have a conversation, be be smart about it. Well, that's interesting. Looking forward to that event, uh, that panel especially. You'll have to, you're going, right? I'm not. You're not? No, I'm helping organize the panel. Okay. Yes. Well, but we might see if we can grab a guest from that panel for a future podcast. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'd love to hear what comes out of that panel for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, like you said, sustainability, it's not only here to stay, but it is, I mean, it's important. We all need to learn, you know, what our role in that is and, and how to pro- progress. So, right. All right. Do we come up with a name for this yet? What are the hashtags? Oh my gosh, we need to come up with something better. Like, Sounds okay. very vanilla. We're going to get our entire Bunch. creative department here at CODEX to put our heads together to figure out what we need to call this. Uh, what sounds like one delicious concoction. Are they like the concoction. rolls? Or like the squares? The squares, okay. It doesn't work with fruit by the front. That makes sense. It doesn't. Okay. Mm, I wonder what the makeup of difference is. Like what, <laughs> they always seem like they're the same gooey thing to me. But <laughs> They must be made of something slightly different uh, in order for one of them to work with ice cream and the other one not to. I cannot wait to try this, you guys. I you have no idea. I like a <clears throat> bowl, right? Like with the ice cream in it. That could be a cool mm. presentation and colorful. That's a great idea. Have you guys ever had fried ice cream? Oh, yeah. I'm That's a big fan. Good. That's very good. That's very what kind of made me think of the bowl vehicle just to get mm. it in your mouth, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're rambling on it. I got to get going so I can go buy some fruity ice cream and fruit roll-ups because <laughs> I must try this. 
Uh, okay. Well, thank you guys, everyone out there who joined us for the first episode. Uh, we want to do a lot more of these. Uh, one a month we're shooting for right now. So check back this time next month for another fantastic episode. Uh, we thank you for joining State of the Plate. Uh, if you like if you like the podcast, uh, you want to keep listening to them, please subscribe. And if you have feedback or have any topic ideas or stuff you'd like to listen to, uh, please comment, let us know, uh, and, and we'll be happy to work them into our conversation. So 